Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 27 of Impact Boom. My name is Tom Allen. I'm the director of 7 Positive and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Deanna Schneider, founder and business designer at Brisk. With a background in industrial design, technology management and product development, Deanna runs Brisk, which is a network of design, engineering, 3D animation, psychology and product development professionals across Europe, collaborating to create new products and systems. Fueled by Belgian pralines and Italian coffee, Deanna focuses on developing service scenarios and innovation processes for corporations, startups and public organizations across fintech, retail, health, energy, mobility and robotics. In addition, she guest lectures at Munich's Technology Management School slash Startup Hub, CDTN, devises new ways to combine immersive field research with business prototyping, and is co-founding the Bee Makers Initiative to promote urban co-creation and build toolkits for design ideation. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss a range of Deanna's projects, getting her insights into design thinking. Deanna will talk us through some of the social impact opportunities she sees in Europe, as well as some common challenges her and her team face. And we'll get Deanna's thoughts on the future of social entrepreneurship and co-design. Deanna, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. To kick off, could you please share a bit about your background and what led you into founding Brisk? Well, there were two elements that led me to found Brisk. The first one was that I have a very combined study background. So I started studying product development in Detroit, Antwerp and Milan, and then industrial design and technology management in Munich. Mm. And then when I joined the workforce, I wanted to apply these different elements in my work. And I quickly realized that by joining a design agency that was more, more product-centric, um, I worked on, on very product-centric corporate projects, and I, I actually was most passionate about the systems and the ecosystems behind the product, so really understanding beyond the product specifications what was actually happening with the consumers there and how could we, how could we solve it. Mm. Um, so I really wanted to shift naturally from product development towards service and process design. Excellent. The second point that led me to, to build Brisk was that um, alongside working for the agency, I started working on self-initiated projects with some people I met in college and some other very talented individuals I met along the way. And it was about how can I combine their different mindsets of data science, engineering, anthropology, and work on things like design for privacy, design for social impact, just using design to prototype urban solutions. Yeah, then, then 2012, I built or I started Brisk as a, as a framework to be able to do these, these individual projects. And then it grew from there into a network of people from, from various backgrounds collaborating across countries on, on topics they actually really cared about. Fantastic. So what's a recent project that you particularly enjoyed working on, Deanna? 
Well, just yesterday we finished a workshop series for the Fraunhofer Institute, which is a German research and science association. And our challenge was to enrich these research and, and very scientific teams to combine their approach with the industrial design and human-centered approach to help them turn their findings and patterns and technology uh, into an actual product and an mm. actual prototype that solves something for an actual human being. Yeah. And it was quite nice to see sort of their, their mindset shift or to see this very creative atmosphere growing of people who are phenomenally talented in their, in their science and research apply design and prototyping for the first time. So it was great to see them sort of evolve there and I'm looking forward to what they'll be producing in the next couple of weeks. Mm, fantastic. So you travel quite a bit around Europe. So what are some of the key local issues or problems that you've observed around Europe and where do you see some of the biggest opportunities then for social innovation? I think one of the problems or key issues might be that teams have the natural tendency or people oftentimes solve the symptom versus the root of the problem. Mm. So it's about either by not understanding what the actual cause or the, the underlying root of the problem is, or just by um, making the wrong assumptions, the solutions that we built are just built to uh, to lighten the symptoms. And for instance, in one of our urban design challenges, mm. we had one of the teams analyze the integration of wheelchair users in inner cities. Yeah. And they really got to immerse themselves into the life of a wheelchair user. They got to, to self-test navigating the city in wheelchairs, interview people, observe people, really get to know that entire group and, and by really understanding the core problems they realize that the, that the real problem wasn't physical access to buildings or it wasn't architectural it was more about social inclusion and not being treated like a stigmatized minority and it was mm. all about sort of very different problems than the ones that we've just naturally assumed when we think about wheelchair users in a city so i think a lot of social innovation could be done by really giving people the tools and the understanding of what the actual cause of a problem is and really immerse themselves in an actual group and understand what the problem is and then create it or co-create it with them. So it's really about empathising with your user then? Absolutely. And I think one of the reasons why people have trouble empathising with other groups is that because we have this natural tendency to cluster in our own world and, and surround ourselves with people with very similar maybe mindsets, uh, cultures, languages, study fields. Mm. And so th that creates a natural disconnection from other clusters or other social groups. And I think social innovation can really help to break these barriers between different groups and help people across groups co-create at, at a larger scale and just help people understand and empathize with the other group and then sort of uh, yeah, create better solutions together. Yeah, it's great, great insight. So what social impact initiatives are happening in Europe right now that you find particularly inspiring? I think the really inspiring and exciting things are happening at a very small scale, to be honest. I think the, the projects where micro-communities sort of self-organize or these grassroots initi initiatives where tech experts are using their information science or technology skills to help solve an actual human problem or to, to maybe help farmers to self-organize or just manage their crops better thus become more resilient in sort of the mm. larger scale or larger economic environment of, of retail or um, situations where small groups help connect and self-organize to help the elderly get their grocery shopping done or it's, it's sort of very small grassroots initiatives that are started from from the bottom and that really understand the pain and try mm. to solve it with technology or with sort of yeah a combined effort. Yeah, fantastic. So as the director of BRISC then, Diana, what are some of the challenges that you typically experience and how do you work around them? One of the challenges we experience is the misunderstanding of what design is and what it does. So mm -hmm. even if 
design thinking has been around for a couple of years and there's been a lot of work done around explaining to different corporations and different communities what it could what it could do sometimes we're just being involved too late in the process when the entire product is already being defined or when specifications for a system are already being set mm. and and then you have to sort of start from scratch and, and help corporations or teams understand that uh, design happens at the very first point of, of, of thinking about a challenge or thinking about what we could solve. Mm. I think, yeah, that's one of the challenges we face is, is being involved too late and then having to revert back and sort of bring the teams back to, to the initial point. Mm. That's a great insight, Diana. So as someone who facilitates these design thinking workshops for management teams, what do you think are the most important considerations as a facilitator to ensure that teams arrive to promising outcomes? key elements is to give a really good immersive experience to the team that has to solve a problem so it's whether it's a retail client trying to improve their in-store experience or whether mm. it's a banking client trying to build a new digital tool for a new target audience is you need to give the corporate team that works on these projects actual real contextual insights into what the actual human pains are mm. that they're trying to solve for so the first big important thing about a good facilitation is to break open corporate structures and basically go out of the building and actually get first-hand contextual real empathize experience about what's happening behind the scenes yeah. in a consumer's kitchen um, in their social context with the technology they have to use mm. another important consideration is that you really need to get corporate teams to co-create with users consumers and experts because corporate teams are often structured in a very closed environment mm. and actually helping them involve actual patients for instance or actual external experts or other stakeholders in the design process in a very early phase of developing solutions and prototyping them really helps them to not just think about what they think the solution should be but really understand how people could solve the problem with a new product or service a third thing is what helped us in our design thinking workshops is to make things tangible quite quickly. So as soon as you talk about things, you can end up in endless meetings and discussions about a concept, but just making it physical, making it tangible, sketching it, building mm. an actual 3D prototype of it helps you really converge towards a solution more concretely, more quickly. And that helped the teams as well in their corporate stru structures to get the feedback and, and the management go to develop things internally as well. Yeah, it's some very good insights there. So what design thinking or business tools or processes do you most commonly use when tackling urban challenges then? We divide our tools in, in three different categories. The first one is tools that are linked around immersive research. So it's all the tools that help you really uh, gain insights in the field. Mm. Empathy tools of observing and interviewing and self-testing. Things like design diaries, cultural probes. Sometimes we just give a research kit to the teams to sort of go in the field and collect insights mm. because most teams are not really used to gathering qualitative data about things. They're used to surveys and quantitative data, but not really sort of how do I gather in-depth insights about how people use things. Mm. The second category of tools we use are mapping tools. So it's when you've gathered all the insights in the field, how do you abstract them and sort of cluster them, structure them into actual actionable elements that you can use for your design challenge. So it's things like storyboarding, service journeys, process mapping, things that help you structure your thinking and communicate it. Mm, yeah. And the third category is ideation tools. How do I get a team that might not be used to developing solutions or to developing creative ideas to sort of break the fear of I can't sketch or the tension of I'm not the creative type and actually collaboratively quickly in really sort of short timeframes create new ideas. 
That's a great succinct summary, Deanna. So for over five years, you've lectured at the Center for Digital Technology and Management. So how have you seen the education sector shift in that time and where do you see it heading? So I think the education system has become way more entrepreneurial and, and, and customized to the student level. So it's, it's less about giving lectures and giving theory to people that they can then reflect or repeat in, in a test. It's more about giving students the tools to adapt to change and to really analyze situations and to find their own solutions together. Mm. And it's more about fostering a mindset of trial and error and, and finding solutions testing them quickly and sort of combining mindsets from different faculties together and it's more about yeah give, giving students the, the tools to become entrepreneurial about the way they approach their own education and their own studies. Mm. Yeah it's certainly something that I've seen in the education field as well so it's, it's interesting to hear that, that that's your reflection coming from Europe. Yeah and I feel that that, that is challenging, though, because it means that you have to reflect or rethink the role of a student and of, a, of an educator or a teacher, because mm. students need to gain the maturity to really understand that education is something they can take into their own hands and, and really grasp that they need to sort of be intrinsically motivated and, and, and build the education that they want or they think they might need. Mm. And teachers need to understand that their role is maybe shifting away from, from lecturing towards mentoring and maybe adapting to the individual needs of certain students and helping them connect across across different fields and, and sort of helping them become resilient in, in, in the fields that are quickly evolving. Yeah. I, I don't think that, that you can actually just go to a lecture and be prepared for, for the actual workforce, mm. the actual sort of reality of the industry that's awaiting you five years later. So I think teachers need to understand that they need to build the strength in these students to sort of define entirely new industries that we can't even predict at this point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So with your experience then lecturing and facilitating and running your own business, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs uh, or people thinking about starting out or even business leaders who are keen then to create this strong culture of innovative design thinkers in their own company or startup? Well, I think the first one is, is a bit critical. It's about think beyond the gimmick. I think design thinking has been has been uh, around a few years now and, and some companies think that maybe just doing a two-hour entertaining workshop will help them become design thinkers and I think mm. it's a great start but I think really creating a strong culture of innovative design thinking is more than just being creative a Friday afternoon and then reverting back to business on the next Monday so it's Absolutely. about um, going beyond the gimmick of the post-its and the creative room with the funny colored chairs it's yep. about actually allowing a mindset of, of reframing problems and and giving a culture where people get a real desire to get to the bottom of a problem yeah. and then give them the resources to actually solve it and maybe even question the way things are being operated or, or the way company structures are being built or have been run for decades. Mm. So I think being an actual cultural shift, it's quite, it's quite uncomfortable, to be honest, to, to allow design thinking in your, in your organization. So it's about creating a culture in which prototyping, trial and error, being critical, questioning things is valued and in which um, at every level of the organization people have or have the same approach towards wanting to really solve something yeah, and yeah. maybe question the way structures are currently done. Mm, fantastic, that's a great um, insight. I think another advice I could give business leaders who want to really get into design thinking or just involve design thinking processes in their company is to become more open towards external influences. It's about collaborating maybe across companies or about big corporations collaborating with startups or just with different experts and or launching task forces within the same organization but across the 
departments. It's about sort of opening up these quite rigid structures mm. to create some collective problem solving. Because honestly, design thinking is, is basically it's about problem solving. So it's not about it's not overcomplicated. It's about basically removing all the barriers that may exist in your company or your startup that have been sort of hindering people from trying to prototype things, solving things, analyze things. So it's about giving room to pilot projects in your company. It's about letting people identify a problem and then solve it without having to go through 20 hoops to, to make it work. So it's really about allowing a stru- strong culture of sort of bottom-up innovation. Yep, yep, absolutely. Some great, great advice there. So to finish off then, Diana, could you please recommend a few inspirational books to our listeners? Well, the first one I recommend is Dark Matter and Trojan Horses by Dan Hill. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a great book. I won't say too much about it, but it's a great book that helps you sort of reframe your thinking and, and what strategic design is all about and, and the questions we should be asking. Yeah. Another great book is uh, Creating Habit-Forming Products by Nireal. It's more applied um, teaching about how we could really apply some insights about social behaviors or just uh, behavioral economics into, into the way we build our products. Yeah. And the third tip I would have is anything that Nassim Taleb has ever written, but you can maybe start with Antifragile. I think that's the one that sort of regroups the other books quite quite nicely. No, fantastic. They're all some great books there. Diana, you've shared some excellent insights today. So thanks so much for doing that and for your time. We very much appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people, and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page, and Twitter.